0: Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Shema Podcast. I mentioned several episodes ago that I was, took some time off and really thinking about the trajectory of the podcast. And I mentioned to you that I had some ideas I wanted to do reoccurring. And this is one of those. So here's the idea. Our calendar throughout the year you know, is broken up these different months. But these months were designed by our creator and each month brings with it something very special. You know, there's, of course, the holidays that take place in many of our months. But even beyond that, there's just these different cycles and energies that flow into the world that if we're attuned to that, that we can tap into that to further our progression and our growth as a Jew and, and coming closer to Hashem. And I was sort of looking at this topic almost like a sports analogy, I'm not a sports fan, just for full disclosure. I know that hurts my my street cred with a lot of the guys. But one thing I I do appreciate about sports, especially like when you watch a football game, is that they know who they're going up against in that game. They rehearse in advance. They have a pregame huddle to discuss their plays and what they're going to do. I want to sort of take that idea to this podcast once a month and get some expert help. So I asked the great Rabbi Busco to come on and be our coach once a month to talk about the upcoming month, what we need to do, what we need to know, so we can get the most out of it and and take advantage of it to propel ourselves to greater levels each month.
1: Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed where Torah insights, intertwined through personal stories, as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars, demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show.
0: So, Coach Busco, thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. This,
2: this is an important topic. There are energies that are unique to each month.
0: Now, I would assume, since we I brought you on to talk about the month of Av, there's really no way to talk, I think, about the month of Av without talking about where we are right now in the month of Tammuz, considering we're in the three weeks. Well, first of all, you're right. It's hard to talk about Av in a vacuum. But if,
2: if let's say, we would try to sum up the month of Av, if you would try to give, like, for example, El is the month of Chuva. okay let's say that nisan is the month of redemption with passover and everything like that i would say that av is the well you know what before i tell you let's just back up for a second and and you're absolutely right about the entire concept of this upcoming series with the months that there is a divine energy that's associated with time that as we go through solar cycle the yearly cycle there's we have these recurring themes of energy that are that are coming through and this is something that i'm sure you've brought up many times in your podcast that anytime we come to a holiday that it's not just a commemoration of some event that occurred but there's really the spiritual energy that's present now even with armed with that information a person might still think erroneously think that maybe that event occurred at a certain time and then embedded this spiritual nature in time. And then as we go through, we're re-experiencing that event. It wouldn't... It's still more than saying it's commemorative, because we're saying there really is this metaphysical energy that's present, but it could be that that metaphysical energy is only present because it was established by that great event that occurred. Someone might think that, but that's also not the case, right? The, The Ramchal... Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato says very clearly in the book Das Tevunos that it's the opposite. There is inherently embedded within time a certain spiritual energy that then generates these events. It's not a coincidence that Passover took place on the 15th of Nisan. That energy was always there. And then it manifests at some point as this great event. Right, because Avraham and... Lot would have matzah. Exactly. Okay. Adram fed matzah to, the, to his guests. So clear, if someone were sensitive enough to the divine energies that were taking place at any given point in time, then they would be able to celebrate uh, something that hasn't even happened yet. Because that's just a manifestation of, of that energy that's always been present. Now, having said that, when we talk about the month of Av, we're talking about summing this up. What is the energy of that month? What we're really asking is, what is this energy that Hashem designed for this month from the beginning, right? This is part of nature. It's part of time. Does it make sense to you that there should be a month of tragedy and mourning and lack and deficiency?
0: No. Oh, well, you know what? Yes. Okay. Because one of the things, reoccurring themes, is that we make our greatest ascension through... After those moments of going in the opposite direction, it, it creates that and propels us to a, to new levels. But that's where the I think a message that Hashem wants to instill upon us too that when we fall, we can do jeshuva and we can get to even higher levels. Is there something idea like that here? You, the idea that you're saying isn't wrong
2: that you can accomplish a tremendous amount coming from the negative. There are other examples. I mean, there are basic examples that. If a person does tshuva from a place of love, wanting to come closer to Hashem, as opposed to the motivation being fear of punishment, then the thing that he's doing tshuva for, whatever sin that occurred that he's doing tshuva for, then transforms and becomes a mitzvah, propelling him even higher than he would have been had he not originally done that sin. Okay. There is an idea like that. And there's another statement that's commonly said, the place that repentant people stand is a place where even perfect tzaddikim can't stand. So there is this implication that you can get even higher starting off from a place of brokenness and negativity. Now, having said that, it's never plan A. Plan A is always do the right thing. True, true, true. Okay, whereas lack and deficiency was part of the initial plan, the initial system. Adam HaRisham, the first man, was created deficient. But he was pretty balanced. He wasn't consumed by evil, but he was pretty uneven footing between balance between good and evil. And he, his deficiency was that he was balanced. He wasn't good completely, right? And that's what he needed to rectify. So the initial plan does include some sort of deficiency, but not loss, not a place of brokenness that's been caused by us, because that, that's always after we've done something wrong. So it still doesn't track, really, that Hashem would have embedded in plan A of time, that there's an entire month that's devoted to the contingency plan when we mess everything right. up.
0: Okay. Can I take another stab at it? Go for it. Okay. So, ninth of Av was initiated by the, the sin of spies. And what did HaShem want them to do that they did not do? He wanted them to leave that spiritual cocoon and then take and go into the land and live in the world and bring HaShem into the world. That's what He wanted us to do. And so maybe now we failed, and now it's been this big tragic day throughout history, but if we had done exactly what He wanted and bring HaShem and Amunah into all of our activities and the livelihood and everything we're doing, like he wants us to do Israel. That's maybe that's sort of the, the goal, the objective.
2: So take that idea. Okay. Let's sum it up now in one word. So what, what's your, what's your
0: answer now? Av is the month of one word. Amuna. Amuna is seeing Hashem governing every affair in everything we do. Hmm. It's seeing Hashem behind the veil of nature. Now, that's why he wanted to go from just getting manna to being able to see him, even when our, we're involved in producing produce in the field. He wants to see that was still coming from him to see him in this earthly realm. Because really, what the whole reason he created this world was he wanted us to transform this world and reveal him there. Mm. So I don't know if Amuna is the best one-word bumper sticker yeah. for the month of of. Well, so, you know, there's there's no right
2: answer. It's not like I have the secret uh, the secret right answer. I'm trying to lead you to. We're having a discussion here. I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong with the word emuna. I wouldn't choose emuna because emuna connotes darkness. It it has a connotation of there's a concealment. There's a natural concealment of Hashem's presence, and the emuna is what draws forth from previous knowledge of emes, of pure truth even when I'm not experiencing it anymore. And we're sort of in the opposite time period right now. We're in the heat of the summer. Imuna is a time of darkness, nighttime in, in the winter solstice. That's Hanukkah. Hanukkah is all about Imuna. It's the darkest time of the year. And here we're in the exact opposite. This is the peak summer where there should be the greatest revelation of Hashem. That's what we're paralleling, right? We're on the opposite side of the year of Hanukkah. It really should be the opposite of Imuna. It should be pure MS.
0: So again, there's no right answer. Okay, but I see what you're saying though. Because Amunah a is like you're wearing a blindfold and Hashem says, walk this way towards me. And I take a right, take a left. And you just have Amunah that he's guiding you towards him. Right. This is about clearly seeing Hashem in everything and everything and knowing which way to go. Is that what you're sort of, is that the distinction you're sort of drawing? Well, that's just why I would have said it's not really
2: Amunah. And, and, while it's true that it would have taken some level of imuna, there was a lack of imuna when the spies came back and misinterpreted what happened, it wasn't as a result of a concealment of things that were bad. It was, a, it was purely an act of misinterpretation because of their own negative perspective. They were being shown greatness. And in fact, some of the things that they saw, they said that it's a land that swallows up the people. And the reason they said that in the Torah is because when they had been traveling through the land, they saw everyone being buried. There's constant funerals happening, way more than it would be normal. Now, the truth is that this was a miracle, that Hashem made a lot of people die during that time in that land so that they would be very busy. Everyone would be busy mourning and burying their dead so that they would be distracted and they wouldn't see the spies and catch them. There's this great chesed and miracle from Hashem to protect the spies, but their negative attitude drove them to misinterpret it and see it as something negative that, Oh, this is a land of death and destruction. And so it it wasn't a concealment of Hashem. It was their own negative perspective, distorting reality, distorting truth that was right in front of their eyes. I would say the month of Av is a month of love, pure and absolute love. And, The word Av means father. It's true that the names of the months don't originate from Jewish sources. They were actually Babylonian names. In fact, many of the names were names of idolatry. But there's a reason, there's an interesting reason, I'm not sure exactly what it is, that we held on to those names. And we do attribute some sort of meaning to it. But Av is a month of the father, the love that Hashem has for his children. And in fact, we see in the middle of the month, in the peak of the month of Av, we have a sort of a semi-holiday called Tuba'av, which is a month of, of total love. It's a day where people got married. There was this a really tragic event that occurred in the Book of Judges called Pilegish Begiva. There was a man from Levi who was traveling, and one of his mistresses had been captured by the, the people of the land in the tribe of, of Benjamin, and they, they abused her pretty horribly. And by the time she crawled her way back to her her master, where she was staying, she collapsed on the doorway and, and died. And he found her in the morning. You said the tribe of Benjamin
0: did this. Yes, it was Jews. Okay. Jews. It
2: was Jews that did it. And there had been nothing like this in the Jewish people before. No act of of horrific violence had ever occurred like that. And so this man who was traveling was so distraught by what had just happened, he did something. It's pretty gruesome, but he wanted to send a message. He took her corpse, chopped her up into 12 pieces or really 11 pieces and sent them to all of the different tribes to show, to send a message to say, look, our people, these 12 states that had been established with all of our tribes, we have were fractured. now we are cut apart because of what's occurred here. And because of that event, the tribe of Benjamin was ostracized from the rest of the Jewish people. And there was actually a civil war. The whole tribe of Benjamin went to war with the with the Jewish people. It was horrific.
0: What, what so, year was this about?
2: I don't know the exact years, but it was in the times of the judges. It was before King Saul and all that. It was, yeah, it was it was quite early in well, okay. uh, in Jewish history in our time in, in the land of Israel. After a certain time, they you know, we won't go through the whole story, but they were reconciled, and there was a great event that as a statement of reconciliation and peace, they finally allowed the tribes to intermarry again among the Jewish people. And the way they did that was they brought out all of these women and these men from from the tribe of Benjamin to go out into the fields and people would find matches for each other. It's like this big shidduch speed dating event. Right. And that occurred on the day of Tubaav. Okay. There are several other events that occurred on Tubaav as well that really have to do with a rejoining of body and soul when the Romans had decimated the citizens of Betar and they had left their bodies to rot. And finally on Tubav, they were allowed to bury the bodies and that was a restoration of the body and the soul. So there are several events that occurred on Tuba'av that really epitomize love. So Av really is the month of love. Then it begs the question, why is it so horrible? Why is it a month also of destruction and mourning, and tragedy, and loss, and all of these things that we've that we've mentioned earlier, and the things right. that we're we're going through now, and that's because, like we mentioned earlier, it's because of our distortion. It's because we've pushed Hashem away. So, this time period that you mentioned these this three weeks, it's also often referred to as Bein mitzarim which means it's a quote from uh, Lamentations: "Between the constraints." Meitzarim means constraints, like borders of a country. But it also has the word tsar, which means pain or constriction. It's tsar, which means to be confined, but in an uncomfortable way. It's it's the idea of pain. So it's a month of pain. It's, it's a time period of pain. But it is not a time period of depression. And I think naturally a lot of people, people who are familiar with the religious practices, which we'll talk about a little bit, of this time period, they're not looking forward to this time of year because it's a lot of restrictions and you're supposed to be sad, and which is kind of true. You are supposed to be sad, but people misinterpret the pain to be suffering and depression. Now, I want to talk about suffering and depression for just one second. Sure, Depression is never, there's no room for that in Judaism at all because depression is emptiness. It's meaninglessness. There's that's never something that's sanctioned by the Torah because there's always Hashem. There's always something to do. So it's never depression. It's also not true that it's suffering necessarily. Now this could be argued, but I heard a great talk from a really a remarkable individual. His name is Gabriel Sassoon. Came to speak in, in my yeshiva years ago. He had suffered a tremendous tragedy. In fact, maybe some of your listeners have heard of this. He had a home in Brooklyn that burned down in that fire, he lost his wife and seven of his children. And wow. I, I believe one of his daughters survived and she was injured. And I mean, thats it's hard to imagine anything more devastating than that right, on, sure. on a personal level. But he didn't break. In fact, he became incredibly strong and is now a source of strength all over. He wrote books and went on speaking tours. And one of the things that he mentioned was there's, a, there's all the world of difference between pain and suffering. Pain is, a, is a, something that you experience. It happens to you. It hurts. And you can't change that. It hurts, it hurts. Suffering is your perspective. That's how you choose to process the pain or not process it. And so this is a time of, of true pain. In fact, the pain is an expression of love. When so, you know Why is it so painful when you lose a loved one? It's because of that love. If, if it's someone that you never heard of, and you find out that something terrible happened and, and someone died, you might think, well, that's a shame, uh, but it doesn't affect you emotionally the same way. The degree of pain that's, that you experience when there's a loss of someone is directly commensurate with your, the strength of your relationship with that person and the love that was there. And so what we're experiencing during this time period is what should have been a time of tremendous celebration, Again, this is the peak summer. This is the epitome of truth and expression of Hashem in the world. That's what it should have been. Mashiach would have come. This would be, Tisha B'Av, should be the greatest Yom And one day it will be. Mirza Hashem. When Mashiach comes and the world is restored, it will in fact be the greatest pinnacle of all of the holidays. But because of our negative attitude, we have distorted it. And we flipped it into... What should be something that's truly great is now a time of mourning and sadness and loss. And we find that actually this is the, the time of most suffering is when really it should be a time of celebration. So this is a time of where, where it really should be this beautiful love and Yom And instead we have distorted it and we've lost it. And so what we're crying for is not the loss of a temple. In fact, the loss of the temple might even be our recon- our consolation, which sounds strange. But I'll, I'll explain that in, in just a second. What we're mourning is the fact that we have pushed Hashem away. And, and really, we did it.
0: Because we had such a close relationship and connection, we're, we're experiencing the pain knowing that we harmed the relationship. Is that the idea here?
2: Yes. God is, is no longer in the world as we, would, as we used to experience it. You know, the practices of the quote-unquote restrictions that are in place here, these observances of these holidays, are the exact same laws that we observe for the laws of mourning when a loved one dies. Because what, what it means when a loved one dies is the soul left the body. The body is left empty. In fact, the word for a corpse in Hebrew is halal, which means empty. And it, because we're recognizing that idea that a dead body is not just, you know, this is the person and he was alive, now he's dead. No, this is a shell of what used to be here. The soul used to live in this body and now it's gone.
0: Okay. So the analogy is is that this world is like the body and the and Hashem's manifestation in it like it was during that temple was removed. Exactly. And, and it makes
2: sense why we pushed
0: him away. We still push Hashem away. It
2: makes sense. Can you imagine... If all day at work, your boss is standing over your shoulder, just staring at you, <laughs> looking at you, seeing what you're doing, we would think theoretically it'd be great to live with God all day, you know, mm-hmm. but, but then practically what we don't want to admit is, you know, like, God, can you, uh, you know, I kind of want to watch this movie. It's got some, <laughs> some raunchy humor in it. And, uh, can you just leave the room for a minute while right, I just right. relax? We think that it would be great to live with God, but we really don't want that. Uh, the truth is, if we would be stronger, if we would be willing to to take on the responsibility of what a Jew is, it would be ecstatic to live with Hashem all the time.
0: But in our weakness, we we can't handle it, and so wow. we push God out of the world. That is true. It's a, it's a hard truth to, but it's very true. You're right. There's sometimes where, uh, if I was like recognizing the truth that Hashem is like observing everything, you're right. It would uh, impact my. Uh, my yeah. viewing on Netflix for sure. <laughs> exactly. It's very it would be very uncomfortable because we want to be very comfortable.
2: Right. We especially now and I think I think that this time period is harder in this generation than maybe any other generation because the work of this time period, the spiritual effort that we're supposed to be putting into is experiencing discomfort, is embracing the pain of not having Hashem in our lives. And we live in a culture today, we're so blessed that we are immersed in luxury. And our primary goal is how do we avoid any iota of discomfort? It's like if the air conditioning is one degree too high, like I have to it's unbearable. Right. Yeah. And so we need to we need to embrace discomfort and feel that pain because that shows the true love. So how you know, how do we do that? How do we? Now, th- this pr- perspective is essential because I, I all the time on Tisha, I get to Tisha B'av and I hear I start hearing these classes and every question is the same question. When everyone s- starts to say Devar Torah on Tisha B'av, it's always, you know, how do we relate to the destruction of the temple nowadays? Right. You know, i would never experienced it. And how do I relate to it? And I hear answers like the Holocaust or trying to think about experiences in, in, in my life that have been really hard and, and try to channel that and realize how important the on Mikdash was, the temple was, and they're not bad answers, but it never hit me. It never was enough for me. It's like, it's still, it never made me actually look forward to this time period as an opportunity for spiritual growth. And it was only within the last couple of years that I started to figure it out. Okay. And that, that it's, it's this, it's this perspective that it, it's not, it's really not about the temple. The temple was stones and wood. And in fact, it was a chesed that Hashem destroyed the stone and wood instead of taking it out on us, which is, by the way, as an aside, let, let's ask a very interesting question about Tisha B'av. On Tisha B'av, we have, starting from these three weeks, starting from Shivas or Tammuz and this time period that we're in now, we are escalating the mourning. It's getting more and more restrictions, trying to build us up into this discomfort, into this feeling of pain and loss. And then it culminates with Tisha B'av, where it has, it's like the the laws that you're experiencing are as if you lost a loved one that day, God forbid. Uh, there's no eating and you can't do anything pleasurable. You can't sleep on, on nice pillows and all these restrictions. You can't even sit on a chair. You have to sit very low to the ground, like real morning. And then on the day of Tisha B'av, right after midday, all of these restrictions start to loosen up a bit. We turn on the lights in the shul, we can then put on tefillin and towels, which we didn't before, because it was we were in such a state of, of destruction, being distraught, and we sit in chairs again. But here's the weird thing. It's not like things started to get better after midday on Tisha B'Av. In fact, that's when the worst things started happening. This is the question of the Ari HaKadosh, Arizal. He asked, why are we doing this? Why is it getting better? It should be getting much worse. Tisha was the day of the destruction of the temple. But when did it actually occur? At what time of day? The Romans started burning the temple on the afternoon of Tisha That's when it actually burned. So it's at the time that they actually started destroying the temple. That's when we start getting up and things start to loosen up a bit. It's like the exact opposite. What are we doing here? Right. So the Ari gives a, an answer which is a bit perplexing at first. He says, Because Hashem poured out his anger on sticks and stones, and not on the Jewish people. And what he means, this Moshe Shapiro explained, that's how, what the Ari meant is, Hashem's presence was manifest in the world in a tangible way. There were miracles. You could see the, the existence of the supernatural was unquestionable. Hashem's presence was obvious. With the destruction of the temple, which was inevitable, we had already destroyed the soul of the temple with our sins, it was already gone. And that was the worst of the destruction. It it wasn't about the temple being destroyed. It was the the soullessness of the world, which had already occurred. And at that time, there was just despair. It was just terrible. But what happened was, in Hashem's chesed, He said, instead of destroying all of spirituality, instead of me actually leaving and having no place here, Instead, I'm going to direct this destruction energy into physicality and destroy the temple itself and transfer my presence from what would have been there in a locked up state that just can't enter there. I'm going to move my presence into the very souls of the Jewish people, into the oral Torah. And so that when we walk around and we can express the oral Torah and express our divinity, through living in an elevated way, it's hidden. It's definitely on a lower level, but that is where Hashem's presence can now be found. Like the, the Talmud says, where can Hashem's presence be found? Within the Dalat almas of halacha, within the, the space of people discussing the law. And so that is the consolation, is that, okay, at least the temple's gone, but the fact that the temple's gone means that Hashem has, must have moved somewhere else. And it's when the temple was destroyed, we see that Hashem's chesed. Oh, we can start to loosen up now because it's true that we've still experienced this tremendous loss. We're still mourning, but the consolation is that Hashem's still with us and we can still move forward. And there's there's still a chance for us to restore this relationship in this this month of love that we're supposed to be experiencing.
0: I want to oh. elaborate a little more on this idea of perspective, I- of that down as like an action item something to work on i could use you to elaborate on that because it's sort of that was where we failed you know originally with the sin of the spies and something we're probably all prone to where we don't see truth because our faulty perspective of a situation can you talk a little about that because that'd be something i think would be an area to to, to focus on and improve on sure So in the book of Deuteronomy, that
2: we're about to start next week, Moshe gives a recap of all the things that we did wrong. (laughs) That's how he starts off. And one of the things is that he quotes the Jewish people as saying that in Hashem's hatred of us, he brought us to this terrible place. And which is ridiculous. Obviously, Hashem doesn't hate us. And Rashi says, of course, Hashem doesn't hate us. What What did they really mean? They really meant, without knowing it, they hated Hashem. And so because they had a disdain for Hashem, they interpreted what was being given to them as it can't be good. It must be that this is bad and it must be Hashem hates us. But why did they hate Hashem? Right. It, we, so we have these layers of reverse psychology happening here. It all comes back to the original sin of Adam HaRisham. It's shame. It's a sense of, of insecurity. When a person sins they feel inherently unworthy and broken and unlovable. There's no possible way that you could love me because I'm a bad person. And so if you can't love me because I'm bad, so I'm going to defend myself and either hide, like Adam did, or assume that you don't love me because that that would be the only logical response. If I'm unlovable, you must hate me. And so we project our insecurity onto everyone else and onto Hashem as well. And that breaks our entire perspective of the world. This is something that it must be the the most difficult thing to overcome because this is part of the original sin. The way to have a better perspective on reality is we need to trace it all the way back to the beginning of how do I overcome this insecurity of feeling like I'm bad? And A, it has to first come with stop hiding. Stop running away from Hashem. Hashem loves you so much, and the only thing as a parent you know when you have a little kid and the kid does something wrong, the kid 's afraid they don 't want to get punished they don't they 're going to try to escape run away. but a parent knows if the kid would truly feel bad and just run up to you and say, "Daddy, i 'm sorry, and grab you and, and you know cry and come to you for comfort What I mean what would you do with that? Of course, you hug him right. back like, that 's all I want. I just want you to recognize. The love, and, and okay, you did something wrong, that's fine, but come back to me. So if we're able to overcome that fear, that baseless fear of Hashem's going to judge me, Hashem doesn't love me, Hashem hates me, and recognize, okay, I'm not perfect, I did these things wrong, but there's, there's still a path forward because Hashem does love me, and I can come forward, that then opens up my perspective for all of, re- it totally changes the way I view the world in, in a way that I wouldn't have expected. Because otherwise, I'm always in defensive mode and interpreting things happening in my life as negative. Right.
0: Yeah. Because often, like when we get challenges in our life, you know, we hear conversations where it's, you know, I don't know what I did, but Hashim was mad at me, mm-hmm. you know, all this type of stuff. And I spoke about this at our Pesach table, too. Like, you know, we, we ask the wrong questions when we have challenges. It, it's sort of back to this idea we're discussing now about. It creates like really bad perspectives on on a, on a situation, but even myself, I, I, I realize that this. I don't actually internalize like I've, I've heard. You know that Hashem loves us like a thousand times more than we love our children, mm-hmm. which is unfathomable. But I don't actually live day to day like feeling that way. Like He really loves me that much. So I feel like I like I have a lot of work to do. I like I'm not doing enough for you and. I know I'm, you know, I'm almost like, just like, yeah, insecurity. Like, I know I'm totally unworthy. I'm really trying hard. You know, just keep giving another shot. Please be patient with me. You know, I'll be worthy for you one day. Each of us, as we, we fight every day to learn and grow, but he loves us immensely where we are right now. Is that the idea that we just really need to internalize? Yes. In, in fact, this, the Ramban, Nachmanlis,
2: writes in his introduction to the book of Deuteronomy that we're about to start, he says that there are, Moshe the the big theme of this book is Moshe is giving rebuke to the Jewish people. And especially in the beginning. And and even at the end. You know, at the end, you know how the Torah ends? It's crazy. If if anyone just reads it. It's like the, the last part of the Torah is and Moshe says to the Jewish people, and I know that you're gonna mess everything up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Period. And there's no follow up. It's not like, but it's okay. No, it's it. Like you're gonna you're gonna mess everything up and uh okay, bye. <laughs> right. I mean that that seems a bit dejecting, but the truth is, when we do fail, when we inevitably fail, right? It's a big consolation. We know, okay, this is you know, this was not this was foreseen, you know, and there's there's still a path forward. The Ramban, in his introduction to Deuteronomy, the Kudvarum that we're about to start now, Moshe also gives rebuke to the Jewish people. And the Ramban says that he does this for three reasons. Number one is to tell the Jews how much chesed that Hashem has already done with them in the desert. How much, how much He's already endured from the wanton brazenness that the Jews experienced or expressing in the, in the wilderness. Number two is to get them in line. Make sure that they're not going to fall back to their original ways that they used to behave like in, in Egypt and uh, some of the again brazenness that they, that they expressed in the desert. And number three is And here's the important part, to inform them that Hashem is merciful and that Hashem forgives. And he, he quotes a verse in Psalms. The King David says, Ki imcho Which, it really depends how you translate this. Because if you look at this verse and you look at Rashi on the verse, the way one might translate it is, Ki imcho For only you have forgiveness. In order to fear you. For only you have forgiveness in order to fear you. So Rashi explains, and many of the other commentaries explain on that verse, what that means is, in many other religions, for example, if someone does something wrong, they might be able to purchase an absolution from a priest or from an angel or some other spiritual, you know, I can get out of it, I can bribe my way into cleanliness. Right, right. Get out a jail card. Exactly. So this verse says, no, no, no. Key imcha aslicha, for only with you is forgiveness in order to fear you. Because if I have the ability to buy a get out of jail free card, if I can just purchase an absolution, so why should I fear Hashem? There's no reason to fear God. I can do whatever I want and then I can buy my way out as long as I got the money. Right. So no, only Hashem can forgive. And that's why there's a reason for me to fear Hashem. I can only get my forgiveness from Hashem. So, right. there's, so I have to deal with Hashem. I have to fear God. Okay. Because he, only He can forgive me. So that should be a lesson that, you know, you get forgiveness from someone, you have to get forgiveness from Hashem also. Only Hashem has has the power of forgiveness, truly. But the Ramban over here, by quoting this verse in this context, it's clear that the Ramban was learning this differently, because the word ki in Hebrew can mean several things. It could mean, like Rashi explains, only. For only you have forgiveness. So in order to fear you. But the Ramban is clearly translating the word ki as because. Because you have forgiveness in order to fear you. What does that mean? That doesn't translate very well into English at all. Right. But what the Ramban is explaining is if it would be the case that Hashem wouldn't forgive me. Let's say, you know, a person will do this sin and he'll say, well, I, I messed it up. Now I'm broken. Why would Hashem possibly be interested in me anymore? I, I ruined it. I had right. this chance. I had this great opportunity. Hashem gave me this soul and this body and this life and all these opportunities, and I totally sabotaged it. And now I'm a broken, bad person. So obviously, Hashem doesn't like me anymore. I'm done. Right. If that were the case, then why on earth would a person keep trying? He's already lost it, like fail. Right. Exactly. He's, got an, he's got an F, exactly. and he can't fix it. So why would he continue to fear Hashem? Moshe is telling them, Moshe is telling the Jewish people, no, Hashem always forgives you. There's no such thing as messing everything up. That's only true when you're dead. As long as you're still breathing, you have an opportunity to come back, to come closer to Hashem. Hashem still loves you. Why does Hashem forgive you? Because He loves you. Hashem always loves you. This is never true that I'm a broken person. Hashem doesn't want me anymore. It's it's not true at all. If a person wants to come back to Hashem, Hashem will take him with open arms. Because Hashem has mercy, Hashem forgives, Hashem will forgive you. Come back, do tshuva. Hashem still loves you. It's it's hard. Part we partly don't want to believe that because then that means that I have to change. Right. It's much easier to think, ah, I, I messed it up. It's over. Hashem doesn't love me. Hashem doesn't want me anymore. Right. It's, exactly. Yeah. But uh, so that's that's this time period. That's you know that's why it's hard for us. We're addicted to to luxury and. Addicted to comfort, and this is a difficult time period, but it's especially in our generation a time of extraordinary potential for growth in this area in particular. Okay, to take responsibility for our lives and to feel the pain, feel the discomfort of being far from Hashem. There are times of the year that we're meant to feel very close to Hashem with the holidays, and that's also true. But now is the time of year where we're meant to feel where we should be feeling this palpable love and it's not there and it should be so painful and to try to numb ourselves from the pain to try to ignore the halacha you know, there's certain halacha for example, during the nine days no swimming you know, that's, that's one example for recreation there's some opinions that say that if a person's not doing it for pleasure at all it's just for exercise okay, that could be now when a person hears that and says, okay, well there's this dispensation and say, well, okay you know, I'm going to do it for exercise but uh, but really, you know, is it really for ex- Like, okay, it's also exercise, but you want to do it for fun. Like, what are you playing games for? What are, right. you, what are you trying to get away with? Like, just don't do it at all. Right. What's, are you missing? You're missing the whole point. Do you want to be aligned with this? Do you want to listen to the advice of the masters of spirituality and tap into get on the path? Or are you just trying to out look, I want to still consider myself a religious Jew and technically keep the halacha. So I'll do as much as I can get away with you're missing the whole point. You're ignoring the pain. You're ignoring it. You're trying to numb yourself and it's just pushing you farther away from Hashem. Like, why? why even bother? So this perspective is essential. You have an opportunity now to love God tremendously and it's hard because it requires feeling that pain of that loss, but the more pain you allow yourself to feel, the more pain you're allowing yourself to get in touch with your soul and realize how far... It is from where we're supposed to be and it is uncomfortable. And it will require then, you'll feel a sense of obligation to change, right? which leads us into Elul of moving ourselves to the next step. Yes, it, it. there is a resistance to that. But if we're able to do that, then that pumps us full of love of God. And as our sages said, anyone who mourns for the destruction of Zion, which now we understand what that really means. It's not about the burning of the temple. It's It's the the loss of godliness in the world, the loss of godliness in my life, anyone who mourns for that will merit to see it rebuilt. So may we all merit that, Amen. feel that pain, and feel that love. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi. Pleasure. Until next time.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.